Good morning, everyone. It's uh, Saturday morning, and we're going on to part two of uh, our study on the book of Acts, uh, chapter two. We're trying to address some inaccurate understanding in the messaging of the Holy Spirit that is particularly coming up in, in uh, various YouTube-style videos that are being uh, uh, given out there. And so we're going to get right into the Word of God, but we want to welcome all those of you from around the world that uh, tune in, download our podcast, and uh, join with us on uh, uh, Facebook. Um, we want to remind you that you can contact us at springston56 at gmail.com, uh, mikespringstonministries.com, ffcma.org, or through uh, Family Fellowship Chapel's Direct Messaging. We also want to remind you about my book, I Surrender. It's available at Amazon and in your local bookstores. So um, with that, let's have a word of prayer, and then we'll get into the, the study today. Father, we thank you for the Word of God. Open our eyes that we can see, our ears that we can hear, and our heart that we can understand what the Word of God says to us. And then may we apply it to our lives so that we can be changed into the image of your dear Son. Jesus, speak to us uh, through the Holy Spirit. Show us what we need to know, do, understand, and demonstrate. And uh, we'll receive it and release it to your people. And from there, we'll be uh, transformed, corrected, given a better understanding of how to live for you. We give you glory for all of it in the lovely name of Jesus Christ, who is our high priest, our Lord and our man in the Godhead. Amen and amen. So let's look at why this narrative that states uh, that tongues are driving people away from the church, that states that if tongues were true, then um, everybody would hear the tongue on the same plane and you would be able to go from country to country and walk into a foreign land and the Holy Ghost give you that foreign land's language. And let's see if that's supported by Scripture. Uh, because uh, uh, we have seen people that are speaking this as if it is true, and we just want to search the Word of God and see if it is. Um, uh we're going to identify in this teaching where the error is and how it has come to exist for some uh, and for a, a period of time concerning what was heard, from whom it was heard, and what was actually spoken. We're going to find that out during this study, and uh, it's going to startle many of you because it's going to... Uh, break up and break down and eliminate a lot of the challenges that are brought towards the ministry of the Holy Spirit and the infilling of the Holy Spirit in particular. So there's a lot to uncover as we put Scripture together and begin to connect the pieces of this great puzzle. To rightly divide the word of truth, an error then is generated when we misunderstand, misrepresent, misinterpret, or fail to seek the answers from the places in which the answers can be located. Now, the basis of the argument was that tongues are misused. The statement that tongues were not used on the day of Pentecost as we use them today, since that, in their view, is so, 
then the way they are viewed and taught by those who believe in the practice of the belief of the infilling of the Holy Spirit, that is an error. The detractors believe the following. If tongues were true, one could go into any foreign country, as I mentioned, in the world, and the Holy Spirit would instill in that believer the native tongue. So because he doesn't do that, there is no such thing as tongues. So as they, (coughs) excuse me, (coughs) divide Scripture, the doctrine of tongues to them is in error. That also makes any of the teaching concerning tongues being associated with the gifts of the Spirit also in error. In general, any teaching concerning the addition of spiritual gifts in their opinion is an error, and therefore, because of this error in their view, is driving people away from the church. Well, that's a very strange position, particularly because that is in direct opposition to what Jesus taught. But we're going to have to provide some proof of our statement. We're not just going to go off half-cocked and get on a video and say what everybody else has said and repeat what commentators who never experienced the Holy Ghost have said and then blow up and act like uh, we have the answer because we heard Uh, from someone who heard from someone who thought someone that possibly maybe somebody somewhere said this. So we're going to try to provide you with facts. All we can do is look into Scripture, and we can see what we can locate on the subject. If the Scripture agrees with the views of the ones who say the doctrine is an error, then we'll all have to agree. But if it does not, then we must also define that there is in fact a doctrine of error, but it is on the part of the ones who do not understand Scripture, who are unable to connect Scripture, and who are unable to see in Scripture the truth. So with that charge, let's see what we can find. The first order is to see if the Father ever spoke out of heaven in a voice that everyone heard. Well, he did that in Matthew chapter 3 and verse 17. He spoke to Jesus and everyone around heard him speak. He did that in Matthew 17, 5. He spoke again at the transfiguration and those around uh, heard him speak. Then he spoke to Jesus again in John 12, 28 concerning him glorifying Jesus and the fact that he would do it again. And that's a very interesting scripture. You're going to see that again. Now, has Jesus ever spoken out of heaven? Well, yes. He spoke to Paul on the road to Damascus. Did those in his company hear him speak? Yes, they heard him speak, but they didn't see a man. Mm -hmm. Jesus spoke to John in Revelation 1.10, and when John described it, it sounded to him like a trumpet. So Scripture declares that both the Father and the Son speak into the natural realm from the spiritual realm. Did Jesus teach then anything concerning how he would speak once he was gone from the earth? Well, in fact, he did. 
The entire concept is taught between John 14, where he states that I will not leave you comfortless, but I will come to you in John 16. Specific, uh, specifically in John 16, Jesus says this concerning the Holy Spirit. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you, but if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he has come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin, because they believe not on me. Of righteousness, because I go to my Father and ye see me no more. Of judgment, because the prince of this world is judged. I have yet many things to say unto you, but ye cannot bear them now. Howbeit, when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you. Into all truth, for he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall say, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine, and shall show it unto you. Now, here's what he said in these scriptures. He said, if I go, I'll send the Comforter, and he will come. I will send him. Here we see the order of events as provided by Jesus. I'm going, and I will transmit, bestow, wield, or trust in one. I, I want you to know that I'm giving you another one who is just like me. He's coming to accomplish the concepts of conviction and convincing and rebuking men concerning sin, righteousness and judgment and that judgment being the judgment of the prince of the power of the air sin because of a faulty belief system that leads the mind the flesh and the inner nature to be connected with this prince to the extent that paul called them children of wrath in ephesians chapter 2 and verse 3 of righteousness because once the belief system is changed and you follow me as I have taught you in John 12, you will follow me into the things that I am doing from my position with my Father. You will not see me anymore, but as we have seen, both John and Paul and the apostles heard him speak. From my position with the Father, the Holy Spirit through me will begin to judge the prince of the air. The question is, then, who will he use? Well, of course, it had to be the disciples and the apostles because it is to them that the message is spoken right here. The error, uh, teachers say, he is only speaking to that particular group and that would be so if he did not address those to whom would believe in him according to their word in John 17. Now here's the comforter who is coming, and he will glorify me. That is an interesting comment. We're going to find that very statement fulfilled by the actions that occurred on the day of Pentecost. Based upon the words of these who were to become witnesses of him, the message was to be perpetual because as their word was spread from one believer to another, whether they spread the message or not, it had the prayer blessing of Jesus attached to it. 
Jesus declares that there is more to come. That's an interesting statement. And when the time is right for what is to come, he will tell them what they need to know. We know according to John 1-2 that that's exactly what he did. And that whole beginning part of Acts chapter 1. Now what's, what's revealed is in fact revealed from that particular revelation will come the spirit of truth and how he will operate then is described. He will guide the believer into all truth. The word identifies the fairness and the justice of the divine side of Jesus Christ. Why? Because it's being operated from the heavenly uh, position. Now the speaking part is identified. What will the Holy Ghost uh, do exactly? He's going to fulfill what Jesus said in verse 12. He'll tell the apostles the things of which they are not at this point able to bear. What will the apostles do with that information? They will publish it as a part of their witness. Who will receive what is published by them? Those who believe on the words that they speak and that they are witnessing to concerning Jesus. The Holy Spirit is not seen in the New Testament. It is symbolized in the Old, but in the New, the closest we come to seeing Him is the dove that sat upon the shoulder of Jesus. Normal characterizations of Him are given to Him as wind. Now, I want to mention this to you. Uh, Ezekiel chapter 10 Ezekiel chapter 10. In Ezekiel chapter 10, Ezekiel saw him as a man clothed with linen who had an inkhorn. That man came into the city riding on a cherub. He had a tender full of fire. Look at Ezekiel 10. And I don't want to read it all to you. I just want to show you some of it. Then I looked and behold in the firmament that was above the head of the cherub, cherubim there appeared over them, as it were, a sapphire stone, like the appearance of the likeness of a throne. And he spoke unto the man clothed with linen, and said, Go in between the wheels, even unto the cherub, and fill thine hand with the coals of fire from between the cherubim, and scatter them over the city. And he went in that in my sight. Now the cherubim stood on the right side of the house when the man went in, and the cloud filled the inner court. What? Now the cherubim stood on the right side of the house when the man went in, and the cloud filled the inner court. Then the glory of the Lord went up from the cherub and stood over the threshold of the house, and the house was filled with the cloud. The cloud was full of the brightness of the Lord's glory. And the sound of the cherubim's wings was heard even to the outer court like the voice of Almighty God when he speaketh. It came to pass that when he had commanded the man clothed with linen, saying, Take fire from between the wheels, from between the cherubim. Then he went in and stood beside the wheels, and one cherub stretched forth his hand from between the cherubim into the fire that was between the cherubim and took some of it and put it into the hands of him that was clothed with linen, who took it and went out. And there appeared in the, other, in the cherubim in the form of a man's hand under their wings. When I looked, behold, the four wheels by the cherubim, one wheel by one cherub and another wheel by another cherub, and the appearance of the wheels was like the color of a burl stone. And as for their appearances, they had four. 
uh, they four had one likeness as it as if a wheel had been in the midst of the wheel. Now, I'm going to stop right there because Ezekiel chapter 10 tells us how the Holy Spirit came. I'm going to break that down for you just a little bit more deeply. Tells us how the Holy Spirit came, where they were when they came. We identify that a man went into the inner court and that a cloud filled the inner court. Now watch this. Now the cherub stood on the right side of the house when the man went in and the cloud filled the inner court. The glory of the Lord went up into the cher- from the cherub and stood over the threshold of the house and the house was filled with the cloud and the court was full of the brightness of the Lord's glory. Isn't it amazing that the same thing is recorded in Acts chapter 2? Those very happenings occur in Acts chapter 2. And as did the glory of the Lord that went up from the cherub and stood over the threshold of the house. It was the glory, my friends, that caused the cloud. What the cloud produced was the brightness of the glory of the Lord. The glory of the Lord is being distributed by the man who entered into the cloud of the glory of the Lord. And we have seen it before, but we didn't know it. Yeah. We saw it in the tabernacle worship process. We know that the smoke of the tabernacle that was made from the mixture of the blood and the coals was the sweet-smelling savor to God that waffled over all of Israel and told Israel's encampment of millions of people that their God was in the midst. Now the cloud of the tabernacle covered that camp and told them that God was there. The cloud covers the inner court and certainly God was in the midst of that place. Now how would they know that there was a cloud, there was a brightness, and there was a glory? My God. This is the complete representation of the holy place into which the Jews worshiped and into which Jesus passed. Whenever he went into the tabernacle made without hands, and there sprinkled the blood on the vessels of ministry that sanctified his brethren, of which he had none prior to his return. And speaking in Matthew 28 and Mark 16, the end of John 20, John 20 and 21, and then now in Acts 1. What Ezekiel is showing us is how the glory of the Lord impacts the environment when it is sanctified for heavenly and spiritual purposes. What a picture. And the sound of the cherubim's wings. Now watch it here now. And the sound of the cherubim's wings was heard even to the outer court as the voice of Almighty God when he speaketh. Huh. Now wait a minute. And the sound of the cherubim's wings was heard even to the outer court as the voice 
of the Almighty God when he speaketh. Here's exactly how the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost. We see why there was a great noise as of a mighty rushing wind. We see that the glory of the Lord went up from the cherub and it stood over the threshold of the door. We see how the cloud filled the room. We see what the house was filled with, both the brightness and the glory. As I said, this is the replica of the activities in the holy place. And that's exactly what we're seeing accomplished in this room we call the upper room in Jerusalem. We see that the cherubim's wings produced what was heard to the outer court. Ha, ha, ah, isn't that something? The outer court wasn't hearing what was being stated in the inner room. My friend, there was the sound of a mighty rushing wind. There was a cloud and a brightness going on in there. What was being heard in the outer area was what was coming from these cherubs. Well, right there, we have just debunked this concept of what should happen when one is speaking in tongues. Because those that were hearing what happened in the inner court, that were listening from the outer court, were not hearing what was happening in the inner court. They were hearing what was happening outside the house as the cherubim was making a noise. Well, let's look now. Let's look and see what we can find. And the sound of the cherubim wings was heard even to the outer court as the voice of the Almighty God when he speaketh. So we see that the cherubim's wings produced what was heard. It sounded like the voice of Almighty God when he speaketh. This, my friend, is of critical understanding as we attempt to understand what happened on the day of Pentecost. So we finally have come to the truth of the matter concerning tongues. We read that they spoke with tongues of fire as the Spirit gave the utterance. But that was not what the inhabitants who were standing at the east gate heard. Those in the outer areas heard. They heard the sound of the wings as if it were the voice of Almighty God. Huh. So now our argument concerning how if the Holy Ghost was real, then people would walk into different countries of different lands and begin to speak a language because the Holy Ghost would automatically give it to them. It wasn't that. It never was that. The people heard the sound of the cherubim as he, as they, were outside and they sounded to them like the voice of Almighty God. The sound of the arrival of these cherubs had to have been quite loud. Luke calls them the sound of a mighty rushing wind. And if you've ever been out in a, in a wind, in a mighty rushing wind, and I have and you have too, the intensity of the wind when it blows 
at a high rate of speed than you know and you can relate to what was going on in Jerusalem that day. The question is not, was it loud? We can read and verify that what came on the day of Pentecost came with a mighty sound. Luke equates it to a wind. Ezekiel answers from where the origin of that sound came. It was the cherubs who were carrying the man and carrying with them the glory of the Lord and carrying with them the very fire that John the Baptist said that he will baptize you with the Holy Ghost and fire. Out of this sound came a sound that was heard by those in the east gate or the outer court. To them it sounded like the voice of Almighty God. These wings were carrying the man and the brightness of his glory and they saw this and they could only relate that sound to what they were hearing in their natural ear and it sounded like the mighty voice of God as it rushed across their ears. Now, I don't know about you, but I sleep with a fan at night. Often in the night, I'm awakened by the whirl of that fan. As a child, I grew up with a radio transistor, and my brother and I would listen to ball games. Often in the middle of the night, I wake up, and in my ear, I hear that whirr, and I am hearing as if it were a broadcaster. And I can hear the, the crowd in the background and, and, and it seems as though I can make out words from the word of that. Now I can't relate that to how powerful, I can only try to relate that to how powerful these cherubs as they're described in Ezekiel chapter 10 as having four faces and I'm not going to go into that here. But how powerful and how quick they could turn and move. My friend, we have totally misidentified because we have never connected the puzzle. We have never been able to see because we wanted to draw a, a, a disillusion and annulment to the Holy Spirit and to the work of the Holy Spirit and to the acts of the Holy Spirit till we came up with topical things and convinced the world that look here, this is what this says and it is not because Ezekiel is prophesying of that very coming just like Joel prophesied of that coming. Now when you put two things together in the word of God, that's when they become true. And then when you put the third thing in there with them, then you have total agreement of the scripture because now we are seeing what Ezekiel said coincide with what happened in the book of Acts and what Joel said also coincide with what happened in the book of Acts. Now what are we going to do? Now what are we going to do? My wife said to me the other day, said your teaching on this is great. But she said, you know your teaching probably isn't going to change anybody's mind. What a sad thing. What a sad thing that we would desire to live in less, to have less, to understand God less, to deny the very teaching of Jesus Christ, to deny that, 
turn our backs on it and say, no, that's not so. To deny that Jesus said that those that are are won by their words is who he's praying for. Deny that. Walk away from it. Go out into denominationalism that doesn't teach truth. Doesn't teach, doesn't rightly represent the word of God. Isn't true about what Jesus said. Now think about it, friends. If they'll lie to you about what Jesus said concerning the Holy Ghost, they're liable to be lying to you about your salvation. Huh? I'm coming up with a message here soon that's going to say, are you really saved based on the teachings of the doctrines of the modern church? Are you really saved? Is it possible? that you're not saved at all. I'm coming up with that message soon. It's already written. I just had to fit it into my program. Now, here we are. We have now shown you what Ezekiel said. We know what Joel said, and we know they correspond to the exact happenings of Acts chapter 2. Revelation chapter 4 and 8 tells us that the cherubims do speak. And the four living creatures, each one of them having six wings and full of eyes are round within. And day and night they do not cease to say, Holy, Holy, Holy Lord God, the Almighty. Huh? Isn't that amazing? Because that correlates with what Ezekiel said. They heard the Almighty voice of God. Who is and was and who is to come. But in this case, they really weren't speaking. The sound of their wings was so loud that they heard, those in the inner court, heard that sound as if it were the voice of Almighty God. Luke now records for us what it was that those present heard from the sound that came from the cherubim's wings. So now we know what the Almighty God was saying about what was going on in the inner court. Acts chapter 2 and verse 11. He said, for we do hear them speak in our tongues. What are they speaking? The wonderful works of God. Why would they speak the wonderful works of God? Because in the inner court, the rushing mighty wind brought the glory of the Lord and his brightness in fire, and it sat upon every one of them. My God, have mercy. So what exactly was the noising abroad? Well, a phenomenon had just occurred in Jerusalem. And people saw and heard the arrival of the man with the inkhorn, the Holy Spirit. Ezekiel is quite clear on who it was that they heard. This explains why they heard them speak in their native tongue. Certainly, God knows every native tongue. Certainly, as the cherubim who are speaking as the voice of Almighty God would be able to speak the Almighty voice of God into the native ear. Ah, They were hearing the cherubim as they worshiped the work that God was doing through the Holy Spirit in the inner court. This, of course, made them marvel. They couldn't see the cherubim. They could not see the man. They could not see the cloud. 
So the only thing left for them to equate the voice was what was going on in the inner court. But the two are disconnected. One in the inner court is connected to the man with the acorn who took the coals of fire and went into the house and the Bible, Ezekiel said he went in. The other is connected to the cherubim who are waiting by the house and who are making a sound that is so loud that it sounds like the mighty voice of God. Now what did Jesus say in reference to this? Did he have anything to say about it? Uh, concerning how unbelievers would be when they were exposed to the work of the Holy Spirit? You betcha. You betcha he did. John 14, 17 said, even the spirit of truth. Now watch it now. Whom the world cannot receive. Now here we have to stop and ask a question. All of those that are Holy Ghost deniers, all of those who would look and say the Holy Ghost is gone, if it were the Holy Ghost, then, you know, we need to have uh, proof that he can speak in all nations through their tongue, blah, 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 blah. Foolishness, foolishness, I've proven that to you. The question is, listen to the scripture, whom the world cannot receive. Just how worldly are we whenever we reject the work of the Holy Spirit? Someone said, well, Pastor, we know we all got saved by the word of the Holy Spirit. But you're grieving the Holy Spirit, my friend. Why? Because you're working and living worldly. Listen to what he said. He said, whom the world cannot receive. Why? Because it doesn't see him. They didn't see him, so the only thing that they could equate it to was what was going on in the inner, inner, inner court. Neither... Do they know him? Now there is a very, very interesting statement because we are trying to build a people who knows him while we are denying the very instrument, the very person that God has set into our uh, environment as I read to you. He came to reprove the world of sin, judgment uh, uh, of righteousness and judgment against the prince. He came to do those operations and we have rejected him. We really don't know him. Huh. They neither knoweth him. Then he said to the apostles, the disciples, but ye know him for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. So, those out in the outer court were left to wonder, be amazed, and to hear the only thing which their natural ear could be formed to hear. And that was the sound of the cherubim. With respect to what was happening in the inner court, those in the east gate of Jerusalem were the ones who made up what Jesus said would be the world. They wouldn't see him, and they wouldn't know him. But in the inner court, he would dwell in them, dwell with them, and shall be in you. My God, friends, what have we done? What have we done with the gospel of Jesus Christ? 
What have we done as we have defined our own intellectual mechanism and we have told the Holy Ghost, take a day off. We don't need you. Take a year off. Take a decade off. We don't need you. We don't want you. And we have defined and described ourselves as Christians all the while grieving the Holy Ghost. I'm not done, but I'm finished for today. Father, I thank you and praise you for your word. May you open our eyes that we can see. In Jesus' name, amen. I see Becky and Betty on here, and there'll be many more to come on, I'm sure. This is a message that must be heard. It must be heard. Because we are living in a time, and I'm going to show you as I progress into this, why the Holy Spirit came in each of the instances that He came. And the Holy Ghost will always work ahead of the problem. I'll show you that. Stay with us. God bless you, my Facebook friends. See you tomorrow morning in church. God bless you, my podcast friends. I pray that uh, you'll find him as Jesus, as, as uh, Lord. There he'll mediate the covenant for you. And if you find him as the man in the Godhead, he will show you great and mighty things that are to come. God bless you until we speak again.